Hi, it's Vic here. Thanks for checking out the Shaw Vineyard podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so you never miss the newest message. And if you're looking for ways to get connected, you can check out svc.org.nz. Our current sermon series is called Front Page, investigating the story our world still needs to hear. And so we're doing this series that we're calling Front Page. Front Page, investigating the story that the world still needs to hear. Last week, Calvin kicked it off um, by talking breaking news. Today, uh, we've picked up on uh, this theme of viral news. Next week, we head into, I'm looking forward to next week, Calvin's going to talk about fake news. That's a, very, that's a very kind of current thing that we like to talk about, isn't it? And on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking good news. The whole thing I grew out of what I felt God say to me two or three months ago really is this year the Christmas message is good news and so we kicked that around as staff and speakers and and we came up with a sort of you know wider package of front page and and, and all of these other news uh, ideas taking you through the Christmas story hopefully picking it up in such a way that it'll be a little bit fresh a little bit new and that we will be able together to grow and develop and to learn who and what God is doing with us here in Christmas 2018. Um, of course for me if you know anything of my background which many of you probably I used to be a journalist, so the whole idea of front page, the whole idea of news is something that's somewhere down there still in my blood. Uh, I became a journalist when I was um, 17. I was quite good at English, didn't want to go to university, wanted to earn some money and have a bit of fun. And it seemed like all of that put together and said, go and do a journalism course. So I did a journalism course at, at 17. Fresh out of school, it was six months back in those days, three years these days, six months, followed by an 18-month cadetship. That's not actually um, pointing a finger at anybody who takes three years, but just a different way of, um, of uh, starting these things. And so I'm digging myself a deeper hole. So anyway, point being, and I will get to my point if you let me, uh, point being is that that I was 17 years old and I arrived at the Auckland Star, which doesn't exist anymore, but a, an Auckland daily newspaper, and um, started to be a journalist, started to go for the front page, started to, to be aware of these whole things of um, stories and, and, and stories that would make people listen and, and, and eventually writing headlines and all of those sorts of things. I was, I was pretty lucky, pretty early. I was, I, you know, as a teenager, I got to interview prime ministers and all black captains. It was sort of like, it was, it was a bit of a whirlwind that went along the way and early in my career there was the Springbok tour I got to cover it as a 19 year old both as a cover the I don't know the riots and cover the games because I was interested in the sport and I was sort of thrown into general news and that enveloped talk about viral news enveloped the nation way back in 1981 for those who were around and for those who weren't around it's, it's, it's a significant part of New Zealand's history that you may be aware of at least at some stage during your life way back then we never talked about viral news viral news wasn't even thought of or um, invented. I remember it was black and white days. We had what was called hot metal type in the Herald where I worked for most of my journalism career. So that was sort of, you know, big, big um, rods of aluminium going down and letters being formed. That was the hot metal and then being recycled again and formed again. It was like something out of Dickens, you know, hard times or something like that. And this was back in the 1980s when I was sort of doing my early journalism career. Uh, I remember this 
this, some grizzled old journalist took me aside and gave me a, a significant telling off for, um, for suggesting that we could have a colour photo on the front page as opposed to black and white. He said, as far as I'm concerned, young man, newspapers are about black and white and that's all they'll ever need to be. That was front page news in those days, in my lifetime, which has been a long life admittedly, but not that long <laughs> in the whole thing. The earliest reference to the word viral, the way we might use it today, as, a, as an it spreads like a virus. That's why we do say viral is 1989. The early reference hooked to the verb to, to, um, to, be, to go is as an it went viral is 2004, which is, for goodness sake, is the 21st century. Viral news is a new concept, a new idea to us. The top viral news story in um, 2017 was this one. You may not hashtag, you may not um, do Twitter or anything like that, but you will be aware of me too because of Alyssa Milano and, and her tweet, which, which captivated and, and, and I, I don't know, moved a world, didn't it, by viral news. There's something about that me too that, that gri gripped an unseen ill or wrong or something and the world responded to it in some way. That's the way viral news can happen these days. It wasn't like that 40 years ago. You kind of had to wait for the evening edition or the morning edition or whatever was the latest technology, but things have changed in that time. Back in Jesus's time, of course, there was no viral news either. Uh, there were no newspapers in Jesus's time. It just wasn't, it just wasn't those sorts of um, times uh, um, along the way. But you know, whether you communicate by smoke signal or cave drawings as we might see as we look back into, into ancient times or by scribes as, as were very prominent in Jesus' time writing down the things that might have been said or by satellites that that's, um, circle the earth. We do know that news that's really worth talking about gets out there. It has a way of getting out there by word of mouth, by, by whispers. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, but by circulating along the way. She's pregnant is a viral news. Did you hear? I think, she's I think she might be pregnant. I'm not sure if she's pregnant. I don't like to ask if she's pregnant. It's sort of viral. Somehow we, we take that all as being sort of part of the whole story. Or he cheated on her or she cheated on him. It's like it just spreads like wildfire. I think I heard that there was an ambulance at their place at two o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness, I better make contact. I better, I better know because there's something that's happened along the way. I don't, um, I saw mummy kissing Santa Claus. That's, that's sort of probably viral news. If you, if you did see something like that, it's probably you know, something that you would say. Um, because it's human nature, isn't it, when the big news hits town, to spread the news, to, to make that news go far and wide. So when I was a journalist, we, we got taught how to spot a news story. And, you know, kind of anybody can write a headline or write a, or write a news story about a, about a ship sinking, especially an unsinkable ship, especially a, you know, kind of a ship full of rich people and all of that sort of thing, or rich people and poor people, as we found out, but named people along the way. But, you know, spotting a news story is not that easy all the time, even as a journalist, and so you have to be trained how to spot a news story. And the best advice, the best training that I ever got is this is how you know what a news story is. Is, is you go and do the interview, so you interview the Prime Minister, and you go and do the interview, so interviewing the Prime Minister, that's not a news story, who cares, you know, whether you got to interview, this might be sort of okay for the family album or something like that, photo with the Prime Minister, but it's what she says 
That's the important thing. And so this is how you spot a news story. The news story is what you chat to the neighbour over the back fence about. So I was in sort of earlier days, I suppose. I'm not sure what we were putting. It's what you put on Facebook. It's what you kind of, this is the thing. I can't believe it. I interviewed the Prime Minister today and she said, so what did she say? She said, I'm going to be the Prime Minister for the next 10 years. That's a news story if she said something like that. I interviewed the Prime Minister today and she said, you know, this is Simon Bridges' last week in power. You know, I just know. That's the news story. It's kind of like, I can't believe it. Jacinda said this, Jacinda said this. Or Phil Goff said this. I, I interviewed Phil Goff today and he said, over my dead body will there be a downtown stadium. You know, there is no way that we're going to do that. That becomes a news story. Why? Because it's newsworthy. So news is something that becomes important to us along the way. So last week, Calv talks about um, breaking news, and he, and, he, and he highlighted two of the significant breaking um, and um, the Christchurch earthquakes. Back in my day, um, the biggest news story of my early journalism career was Erebus, 1979, November 1979. I'm 18 years old. There's still, it's almost like in a New Zealand group, you know, all of these years later, 40 years later almost, um, there's still an indrawing of breath because it's a, something that's affected. There's probably people here who, who, who know somebody who knows somebody or maybe even intimately knows somebody who was part of the Erebus thing. That's something that marked us as a nation. Um, and so we've, we've, we have the news that's arriving, that Calvin was talking about, the breaking news by angels, and we know about news. And so today, and, and how it affects us along the way, and so today I want to pick up on this viral thing and, and begin to work with the Christmas story and try and help us discover what may be able to be viral in our lives, even this Christmas, which may be something that God would want to do in our lives along the way. The arrival of the news of Christmas in the Christmas story, when the Christmas story arrived and broke out all over, all over people, they did things like they leapt in the air, um, as opposed to leaping into the ground, so just um, to, to go with our theme. Um, they shared it, they sang it, they spread it, they worshipped. They had all sorts of encounters with God along the way. There was something that happened when the news of Jesus arrived and it made a difference. It made some sort of impact in your heart that changed your life and that was worthy of note, was worthy of tweeting, was worthy of making an announcement, was worthy of chatting to the neighbor across the fence and telling them the big story. And so I want to begin today with the Christmas story by talking about Mary, Mary, wonderful Mary. And so if you grab your Bibles, grab your phones, we're going to be in the second half of Luke chapter 1. So if you can find it, that'll be good. We're not going to skip around anywhere. But if you can find Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start reading it at verse 39. And it goes like this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so these are two cousins, two pregnant cousins. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped for joy. So I was wrong. The baby didn't leap into the air because the baby was not an heir. So the baby leaped for joy. The news of the arrival, the presence, the arrival of Jesus created something in John the Baptist's life, you know, kind of in utero. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. There was something, I don't know, at a gut level. This has moved me, changed me, grown me, challenged me, invited me. And somehow I've got to, I've got to leap. I've got to, I've got to speak loudly. I've got to announce 
the things that are happening. And Mary responds by the, the beautiful, what we call the Magnificat. And she says this, my soul glorifies. I think glorifying is, a, is an out there thing too, sort of almost an external thing, obviously of a deep internal um, nature. But my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And it's, it's worth continuing through as you'll be following me sort of in the, in the um, Magnificat in your Bible. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is Mary, the Magnificat. It's, it's, it's called a canticle. It's like a hymn, cross between a hymn and a chant. And, and, and it's popularly understood that Mary repeated this as a prayer, as a declaration throughout her life, which is why it kind of finally got able to be written down and, and, and why Luke was able to you know, kind of record it to us for posterity. So let's talk about Mary. I, I want to I do a really small job because it's such a big job and I only have a little time of, of rediscovering Mary for us this morning. So if you come from a certain sort of background of church, Mary is held at arm's length. Why? Because it's sort of thought that she is, is in, in some expressions of Christianity, overly venerated or loved prayed to, those sorts of things. And you probably will have heard some of those things. And I think in that process, and I'm, I'm not sort of here to sort of argue the toss one way or the other, but in the process, we can lose the significance of Mary. Mary is a viral part of Christmas, and I wonder whether Mary might be significant for us today. This Magnificat is the longest address by a woman in the Bible. That makes it important just at that point. Back in um, Luke 1.38, when Mary has the angel arrive and she says, uh, let it be to me according to your word. That's the, in a sense, the female um, call, which is as strong as an Abraham saying yes in Genesis 12 or Isaiah saying yes in Isaiah 6.8. You know, here I am, Lord, send me. This is a woman saying that and declaring her availability and, and the willingness of God. More than that, though, Mary is the mother of God. And it's like, at this point, it's like, oh, I don't know that I want to hear that. I don't know that I want to know that because we have suspicions around that. But Jesus is God. God is the second person of the Trinity, is, a, is, is being conceived here in this Christmas thing. And Mary, her, uh, God's human servant, is being used for that thing. Now, now in, um, sorry, this is um, Botticelli's uh, Annunciation. So the Annunciation is the arrival of the angel to uh, Mary to, to announce what's happening here. So in the, second, in the third council, third ecumenical council, which took place in uh, Ephesus in 431, so a long, long time ago. But in the, second, in the third uh, ecumenical council, they had this big theological debate. 
So the theological debate went this way. Sort of on one side, there was Athanasius and, and others who were saying, Mary is the mother of God. Mary um, you know, has given birth to God. And you call that Theotokos. And on the other side was a guy called Nestorius. And Nestorius was, Nestorius was saying, no, Mary is, is just a, a Christotokos. So gave birth to the human Christ. So that's a really important distinction. Gave birth to God, gave birth to the human Christ, okay? And so at that council, they, they fought and they debated and all sorts of things, and they came down with the strong sense to go to echo through history. There's that, no, Mary is Theotokos, which means the bearer or the birth giver of God. That was a really important thing to do. And you could sort of say, well, yeah, but, but I, I still don't like that. I, I, I still think it doesn't... You know what happened at the, at the Third Ecumenical Council? They ratified and reaffirmed the, council, the, the Nicene Creed, which was done at the Council of Nicaea back in 325. And so after a hundred years, basically, of, of, of sort of, I don't know, being fashioned and shaped and the opportunity, they came back and they, and they got the Nicene Creed and they said, yes, this is it. They also spoke against the, some of the heresies of the day, which became known as Pelagianism and Nestorianism, and we're the better for that. We would look back on that council as being really significant. And the third thing that they did at that council was pronounce Mary as Theotokos. And so when we sort of keep Mary at arm's length, when we keep her at a distance, we limit the nature of the story. We limit the richness of the story. We limit the amazing thing that God allowed himself, both as a human and as God, to be given birth to by a woman, but to, to, to in a sense become one of us in that sense. Right there's the heart of the scandal of the story. Something that's happening inside Mary, God becoming one of us. She becomes the dwelling place of the presence of God. So like uh, the Holy of Holies, like the Ark of the Covenant, Mary, in her obedience, is responding. I don't, that doesn't lead me to worship her. It leads me to gasp at God and to worship God. And so um, as um, John Dunn so beautifully wrote in one of his poems, Thou hast light and dark and shuttest in a little room, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. This is Mary. We need to, I think, as she said, you know, generations will call her blessed. I think our today because of the part that she plays in it. And I think our understanding of what Jesus has done will be, a, will be extended if we were able to do that. So as you move on in Luke 1, you might come down a little further. You come to the birth of John the Baptist. We've seen him already. And his father, who's dumb and speechless, and you can, re you can um, go back as to, as to why he's dumb and speechless earlier on in the story. But his father, Zechariah, names him John, which was against all, every um, uh, family tradition that we'd ever known. And as he does so, his tongue is loosed. And what happens, it says uh, in verse uh, Oh, um, 66, I think it is. All these things were talked about through all of the hill country of Judea. It went viral again. This amazing thing that had happened. Can you believe that Zechariah named his son John? And as he named his son John, um, he started to speak again. And what does Zechariah do then? He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And this is what he prophesies. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. That's 69. And if you skip over to 79, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the week for Advent of peace. We've lit the peace candle today. And peace is a really important thing. It's a really important piece of news. An important piece of news that may well just go viral. So how does something go viral? How does the news, the, the thing that God does in our lives, how does that end up going viral? Well, I think it goes viral by leaping in the air. I think it goes viral by speaking it out loud. I think it goes viral by, by, by announcing it to all of the hills, all of the villages across the hills of Judea. I, I think it goes viral um, in, in ways like that. I think it goes viral when we prophesy it. I think it goes viral when, we're, when we understand what the Christmas story is even shaping and moving in us and growing in us. And when, we're, when we allow that to be disseminated and shared and told to the neighbor across the back and inviting someone to a Christmas Eve service or all of those are ways that it goes viral because we're changed by this process. The worst thing that can happen in 2018 is for us to sit in congregation, hear four messages on Christmas and be unmoved by it. I've done Christmas 40 times as a Christian or 38, 39 times as a Christian now. And the worst thing that could possibly happen to me would be just to be unmoved by it. Oh, well, this is number 38. I guess you know, it's pretty much like 37, really. And I guess it'll be pretty much like 39 when I get there, eventually if I get there. That would be awful. Because the invitation and the opportunity for God to, to form and to know and to, our, and to be in our life is, is here and is ready and it's in hope and it's in peace and it's in joy and it's in love and it's in all sorts of new understanding and new invitations of what God wants to do. We have to step into the story. You know, we're, we're not spectators of the story. Oh, 2,000 years ago, something really cool happened. We have to step into the story and make it our story and when we do that, it will become viral because we're viral people. We, in a sense, are theotokos, small t, not capital T like Mary might get, but small t. We embody, we have God in us to be expressed out of us. That's a viral thing. We become the disseminators of this great news. We become the reporters to take this thing National, to take this thing viral. I've never done a hashtag in my life, but that seems like a good hashtag. Is that how you do a hashtag? I don't know. Then do you put it on Twitter? Is that what it does? I've done 15 posts on Instagram, I want to say. I think that's, that's worthy of some sort of, you know, 15 in a year and a half. That was pretty good. I got onto it pretty late. But I've never done a hashtag yet. But I think hashtag good news is a great sense of what God is saying calling us to, inviting us to, asking us to remember and recognize along the way. Why do I say this? Because, because we are the representatives of God. We are the bearers of the message, of the news, and we'll be outworked and, and expressed in different ways because we're all in different stages, life stages, age stages, understandings of faith. Some of us are on top and excited about our faith. Some of us are struggling in our faith. All of the things that go between, but somewhere in there is the presence of God and the invitation of God to come to grips with it. And how will we not be able to take that sort of message if we allow it to, I don't know, to, to, to run right through us, how will we not be able to respond to that? 
And so I have a question, really, is what is it about Christmas that makes your front page? This is a really important question, I think, to, be, to reflect on during this week. So back to my journalism training, I say, you know, young man, this is what it's all about in journalism. I remember my, one of my tutors saying, is this, is, this, this is how you do it, is when you've got the story, the only page you ever want it to be on is the front page. And when you get to the front page, you want it to be on the top left of the front page. That's where the broadsheet, big, you'll see them in museums probably, you know, those sorts of things. Top left, front page news, front page heading. You know, that's where you want. And you want your, you want your byline in as big a font size as you possibly can get so that you can be seen and being noticed. But what's your front page? What are you saying? What are you going to tell your neighbor across the fence this year about Christmas and what Jesus is doing in your life? Because that's the important part of the message, not singing carols on Christmas Eve or, you know, kind of, um, uh, I don't know, um, shopping and the things that involve Christmas. That's the important thing. Let me tell you a little story about my life that, that I think is worth hearing. I, I think it's worth taking viral. This, isn't, this won't become your story, but this is a story that God has done in my life, that God has shaped and fashioned me. It's a little bit old, but it's, but it's relevant, I think, for today. It's not a Christmas story so much, but it is a newspaper story. And I think it's worth telling my neighbours about, and you can be my neighbour for now at least. So I used to be a journalist. You know that, I've already told you that. Some of you have known me for a long time. You know that I used to be a journalist. And I was quite a good journalist. You know, I, I got a lot of opportunity. I was, I, was, I was a reasonably good reporter and I was a really good editor. It was like, you know, kind of I could, I could um, you know, edit stories probably better than most. I could write stories as well as some others were better than me. And then, and then I ended up pastoring a church instead of being a journalist. And that led to a 10 or 12 year crisis of identity for me, of who am I and what was I going to do? Because it didn't seem like I was a very good pastor because I, tons of people could preach better than me, tons of people could lead better than me. There were lots of better churches than my church and I knew that because people were leaving my church to go to the churches that were better. And meanwhile, it would have been great, thank you God, if you would just let me go back to do the thing that I'm actually pretty good at, which is being a journalist. 10 years, 12 years, long time. Not just a click of the fingers, 12 Christmases, 10 Christmases I went through with some sort of angst about, about not being a journalist but having to be a pastor. just seemed like it was unfair of God to make me gifted over here and not gifted over here. That's just what it seemed. And so if I met you during that time and you said to me, well, what do you do? I'd say I'm a journalist and I happen to be pastoring a church at the moment. And then I went through some various things and it's like God sort of lifted me out of that and that's a story within a story in itself which I haven't got time to go into but I made a decision in the middle of that process to introduce myself a different way and I hope you see the subtlety of it but it's changed my life and it was, um, I will now say to you, well, so what do you do? I'll say I'm a pastor who used to be a journalist. So I've gone from being a journalist who happens to be pastoring to, to being a pastor who used to be a journalist. And in that process, 10 years, 12 years though, in that process, I discovered peace. I discovered peace about who I was. I discovered peace about what God has done in my life. 
I discovered the opportunity to, to, I don't know, to embrace the things that God was doing and to walk in the things that he was introducing me to and opening me to. And you can see that story if you, if you look at my face and you look at my bearing and you look at the words that I use. That story is etched on my life. That process of God working in my life and creating whatever it is I am now. Am I a good pastor? Am I a good preacher? Whatever. I mean, you can decide all of those things, but in myself, none of that even matters. The thing that matters is that the, that, that the wrestling with God has created something that I can identify with a candle that is peace. And that is viral news because that's life-changing news. That's sort of me, not sort of bitter and twisted, but me having come through a process and that is the invitation of God for each of us to encounter him and know him in a new way. And there aren't many journalists in this room, so it probably won't be the same story. And it probably won't be the same process. And it may be long. And it may be hard. And you may be only in the first year. I'm sorry of the 10 years you've still got to go. But I will tell you that God is in it. And we know this because of Simeon, who we didn't read today. Because of Zechariah, who we did read a little bit. Because of Mary, who we did read today. We know this because God is all those things that we need to be and to know, and it's worth taking it viral. It's worth taking it viral. It's never going to go viral if we're passive with it. It's never going to go viral if we're passive. As Holly read from Isaiah 32:18 this morning, my people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in, securing, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And so as we come to a conclusion today, what is... It about Christmas that makes your front page. And what are you going to tell your neighbour across the fence? Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, this is not a literal. I have to go back to number 12 Oromama and 16 Oromama and tell the story across the fence. This is what are you taking in your heart that allows you to be representative of the things that Jesus is for this Christmas, number 38 or number four, or number two, or number 12, or number 60, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Thanks for listening to the Shore Vineyard podcast today. Uh, just before you head into your next podcast in the queue, I'd love to invite you to one of our Christmas Eve services coming up, believe it or not, on Christmas Eve at 5pm and 7pm. There'll be great music, good food, glow sticks for the kids, and it just won't be the same if you're not there. It's also worth noting that we won't be having our usual Sunday services on December the 23rd or the 30th, but we're back for 2019 at 10am and 6pm from Sunday, January the 6th. And if you need any details of our Christmas Eve services or our summer calendar, go to svc.org.nz. So have a great rest of your day and I look forward to catching up with you at one of our services soon or back right here next time on the podcast. Music